So this is a this is an additional talk in the in the Pikiti Ora uh, Life in All Its Fullness series. So th there's not a there's not a video that goes along with this one. This one is um, is just what it is today. And we've been looking in this series. It's been such a beautiful series because it's looking at heart issues and it's looking at at, at the at our spiritual formation and and our um, you know how do, how do we respond to difficult situations. Uh, and the issues that shape our faith and our relationships with God and with ourselves and with the people that we do life with. And so today I want to talk about a topic um, around this thing of, of disappointment and disillusionment, uh, but also looking at the, the issue of hope. And, uh, you know, as we talked about last week, you know, we often live with the tension between, between two things. And so on the one hand, we look at hope. And on the other hand, you know, there's not one of us, you know, no one gets through life without experiencing disillusionment. You know, we can, we can experience disillusionment with people. Um, we can experience disillusionment with our faith, uh, with our personal beliefs, with our job or our study, with, uh, with ourselves often. And you know, it often happens when, when we think that a person or a relationship or a situation will play out in a certain way, and then it doesn't. Life doesn't turn out that way. And, and, and we, we have to respond to it in some way. And often, often our initial response can be disappointment, which can lead to uh, disillusionment. I was, uh, as I was pondering and preparing this on Friday, I, I um, came across uh, a quote by Tim Keller. So I'm not, not getting any access, sorry. Um, thank you so much, Rob. Um, and Tim Keller is a, is a man that I know lots of us listen to his teachings and read, read his stuff, a leader that I greatly respect. And he, uh, he, he tweeted, if you say, I believe in God, I trusted God, and he didn't come through, then you only trusted God to meet your agenda. And I was like, oh, Tim, that's rough. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a brutal one from the usual kind ones. Um, <laughs> but but I, it kind of caught my attention. You know, and, and of course, life is much more nuanced than the tweet. You know, and, it, and it, yes, it comes across pretty blunt. But it was it was fascinating, kind of watching the watching the responses to that tweet. As you can see, there was at that at that point there was uh, um, two thousand five hundred forty six likes. So there was a lot of people that liked, enjoyed a good slap. Um, and, um, but just you know, it's just interesting, kind of looking at what was following from that, and. Um, you know, like I say, th these are these are talks that, that in one sense build on each other. And and I wanted to I wanted to move from last week's talk about making doubt our friend that that doubt can be a can be like an on ramp uh, to upgrade our faith when our faith is challenged, or it can be an off ramp that that we kind of go I don't I don't want to dig deeper. And uh, this is a little bit this little bit similar, um, but fortunately a little bit different as well. But we're starting with that same verse in um, in Hebrews eleven, verse one. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And, and it's interesting that, that hope is right up there with, with uh, love. And, and so there's faith, uh, Paul, Paul, in fact, says, and it's my next slide, but he says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But it's interesting that faith is predicated on this thing of hope, that, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then we, you know, then we move on into this, you know, these great things, faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. And, you know, and in one sense, it's easy to understand that. You know, it's, it's one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible where, where, uh, first, where John writes, um, God is love. 
you know, it's, it's his very nature. You know, if, if you, you know, we can't do this, but if you scratch God, that's what you'd find. You'd find love. If you squeeze God, you'd, you'd find love. And again, faith. We know that faith is so important. Faith is what changes the, the present. It's what changes the future. You know, whether it's in our life, it's in our circumstances, or, or the lives of others. But, but why hope? And again, in, in uh, Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5, the psalmist writes this, "'Show me your ways, Lord.'" Teach me your paths, guide me in your truth, and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. And I, I think sometimes if we read these verses and don't realize what biblical hope is, that, that it can seem a very weak thing. You know, I, I think often when we think about worldly hope, worldly hope is like, it, it's que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I hope it's going to be, hope it's going to happen, but, but probably, you know, the op, the op Optimists will go, yeah, it's definitely going to happen. And the pessimists will go, I hope it's going to happen, but I know it won't. You know, and, and that's, that's the extent often of hope, that it's this, it's this kind of ethereal thing that, that doesn't really do anything. But the definition of biblical hope is this. Biblical hope is a strong, confident expectation that something good is going to happen. And why is that? Glad you asked. Um, because... God, one, of the, one of God's most beautiful characteristics is goodness. It's the goodness of God. And, and in the corner there, Psalm 27, verse 13, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. And so there's this, there's, there's this reality that biblical hope, this strong, confident expectation that something good is going to happen, is based in God's nature and in his character. God is good. He proves himself good over and over and over again. You know, and God will prove himself good to us. Um, a, lot of you know, a lot of you know my story very well, but, uh, but um, I, had a, um, I had a stroke as a result of chiropractic treatment when I was, when I was 40. And... Um, and so when I was in hospital, I was in hospital for a couple of weeks. I, I had a, a double whammy, so I lost, I lost um, the ability to move on, on my right side, and I lost pain and temperature sensation on my left side. So I, I kind of had a double whammy. And, and fortunately, I was able to l learn to use my right side again, but my left side, I'm still, as I often say to people, I still don't feel pain or temperature, so I can iron my shirts while I'm wearing them. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's a pathetic joke, but it just has to be told over and over. Um, but, but the reality is this. People, people um, asked me after that, after that event, and they said, so, you know, what's it done to your faith? Has it shaken your faith? You know, do you, do you still believe in healing? And, you, you know, and the reality was this, you know, that, that I, I just, I, I said to them, honestly, it hasn't, it hasn't actually shaped my faith at all. It, it, hasn't, it hasn't made me think God's not good. It hasn't made me think that he not, he's not, doesn't have ability to change anything. Um, the only question that I said to people, the only thing that I ask is maybe I was just so darn busy that I wasn't listening to him. Because, you know, you kind of wonder, could he have warned me not to go and see the chiropractor? You know, would it have, because that particular day, the, the treatment, the, the, what the chiropractor did was, was massage my neck, deep tissue massage, and he, and he actually tore, the, did an internal uh, tear in an artery in my neck, which then caused a stroke, which then, sorry, caused a clot, which then went on and caused a stroke. And so my only question and it, and it wasn't like a hugely pressing question, but my only question was, maybe I was just too busy. 
Maybe, I, maybe my mind was just so full of the things I, that I was doing that I wasn't listening to him. But not for one moment, with hand on heart, not for one moment did I think that God wasn't good to me. And not for one moment did I, did I not think that, that God heals and that God speaks and that God intervenes in the, in the lives of his people. Um, and again, you know, the, I've, I've, I guess subsequently I've, I've looked at it and kind of, I've kind of wondered, you know, uh, at that point, we were busy planting churches, and, and our, you know the church, the particular church that we were uh, busy in at that point, was was on a huge growth spurt. And I, I kind of wondered. I, I I looked back and I kind of realized, you know, I, I think I almost had this. I, I'm I'm bulletproof because I'm serving God. You know, I, I could I could do anything. You know, so work work get up early in the morning and work work late at night, work, you know, just work every day and just kind of think God's going to look after things because I'm doing, I'm doing the work of the Lord. Yeah, of, course, of course we all are, but <laughs> that's a happy sound, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. But, but it's interesting that, this, that, this, that the hope, the biblical hope is based on the goodness of God and God is good. And, and the longer we live, the more we realize that God is good. And yet, we can also have uh, disappointment and disillusionment. You know, disappointment is normally the first reaction when, when life doesn't play out as we thought. But if it's not, if it's not handled right, it ends up with disillusionment. And, and as the word suggests, what disillusionment is, it's, just, it's, it's losing the illusion. And, and, and it's a disturbing thought, but there's, there's areas of our life and our belief systems that perhaps are not based in biblical truth or in reality. And so situations, you know, that we face, you know, the answer might not be pray more, um, you, you know, or, or have another Holy, experience, Holy Spirit experience or, or, or try harder. You know, the reality, again, is that if, we, if we've got this kind of, this, possibly subconscious belief that God's will for my life is that I'll be happy, healthy, and wealthy, and every relationship will be awesome in my life. If that's our, if that's our, our kind of heart belief, we're, going to be, we're setting ourselves up for disillusionment. Because if we go back to that scripture I started with, Hebrews 11, verse 1, the first six verses talk about what faith is, talk about these amazing heroes of faith who, you know, who shut the mouths of lions and you know, did, did remarkable things, uh, you know, stopped, the, stopped the sky from raining, then brought the rain. But if you read on in that chapter, then you start reading about the ones who were uh, uh, um, cut in half, who were beheaded with the sword? You know, it's it's got both. You know, it's, so in other words, you know, the, the scriptures don't promise us a, a, a pain-free life. They they actually offer us the presence of God in our circumstances and wisdom and and, and comfort. So I often think that these that you know dis, disappointment and disillusionment is a little bit like. A fork in the road. Last week we kind of used the illustration of the on ramps and off ramps, but today I want to I want to use the illustration of it being a fork in the road. It's the place when we come to where we thought what was going to happen hasn't happened, and where we thought wasn't going to happen has happened. And at that moment we face a fork in the road. We go, which way am I going to turn? You know, am I going to am I going to move towards digging deep, or am I going to move towards disillusionment? You know, and over the years, you know, I've, and, and I don't mean this in, with even the microest, if that's a word, um, you know, sense of judgment, but I've seen people come to these forks in the road and just give up. You kind of go, I thought it was going to be this, 
But, you know, I thought, I thought if I gave my life to Jesus, everything would be awesome. And it isn't, so I'm out. You know, I've, I've seen way too many people do that. And, I've, you know, and again, it's, it's fascinating just watching you know, some, of my, some of my heroes kind of crash and burn over the years. It, it can be minor or it can be devastating. But you know, when, it, when it comes to these issues, you know, it's, it's hard. We, we face that reality that I thought, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't think it would come to this. And at that moment, we're standing at the fork of the road. You know, the symptoms of disillusionment are things like, you know, there's anger, there's, there's blaming, there's sadness, there's cynicism, there's sarcasm, there's loss of motivation, there's withdrawal. But all those things, they're all pain symptoms. And pain is like, it's like, it's like one of those uh, indicator lights on our dashboard of the car. I remember... Um, I remember driving a few years ago, driving along the Southern Motorway. We'd been down and had actually um, done a done a funeral service, a memorial service, and just driving home. And um, and, and all of a sudden, the car, the, our, our car, we were in the fast lane of the motorway, and all of a sudden, it just started losing power. And and by the time I could pull to the side of the road, the engine had seized. And I was kind of like, that's the weirdest thing. You know, I, I, I know a little bit about mechanical stuff, and it was like, I've, I've tried to start the engine, but it was, it was seized. And I'm like, that's the weirdest thing, because no warning light came up. There was nothing saying, you know, that, that, you know, that, that normally what would happen would the heat would go up. And it had, it had, it had sprung a leak for sure, and it had seized the engine. And, and the warning lights, you know, pain is like one of those warning lights. It's like saying, danger, danger, danger. When, when, when a warning light comes up on your dashboard, you know, well, some particular ones, you know, to pull off and turn off the engine uh, before it does seize. And that's what, this, that's what these kind of feelings can be. You know, the, the default route for disillusionment is to stay on the same track and become cynical and bitter and hard. You know, and, and we see it, you know, for example, it happens in marriages. You know, we, we enter, often we enter relationships with an idealized view of what our, of what our um, marriage partner is going to be like. You know, we just, I, I mean, Vicky thought it was going to be awesome. But, but, you know... Day two, she real, you know, her, her dreams were shattered, and she realised she'd actually married a very ordinary person. And uh, but you know, uh, you, you know, when we do when we do pre-marriage or over the years, we've, we've prepared people for marriage. You know, one of the things that we often look at is 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 what what view do you have of marriage? Is it is it an idealised view of marriage or is it a real view of marriage? You know, an idealised view of marriage is this is going to solve all my problems because I'm marrying the perfect person and, and they're going to make my life complete and it's going to be awesome. Um, you know, until you wake up the next morning and you realise I, I married a human, <coughs> you know, and, and a wonderful human. But, but again, it, you, you know, we, at that point, you know, a, a married couple have choices. They, they kind of go, well, when I realise that the person I married is not, is not ideal, they're real, you know, and, and the dream is shattered, you know, they can make that person pay for it for the rest of their life. It, it's, or we can let that dying dream re, be readjusted into reality. You know, I, I, again, I, I thought, when I, when I became a Christian, I, I, I came with some illusions. You know, I, I thought it was going to be awesome. You, you know, I, I had that first love where it seemed like everything I prayed for happened. You know, it was just amazing. It was such a great season. It was like, this is awesome. 
And, and then it started to get difficult. You know, things that I thought would change didn't change. I turned out to be a bigger jerk than I thought, I, than I believed I was, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I believed things that weren't true. And, and you know, but, but I really thought, you know, every Christian I met in church would be just like Jesus. I, I thought every day would be, like a, would be like a page out of the book of Acts. I thought every day would be Christmas because I'd met Jesus. And, but the reality was it wasn't like that. Fortunately, there's enough Christmas days to just kind of keep us going on. But, 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 but it became, you know, it then began this this journey of seeking reality. Let me talk about some areas of disillusionment. Let me also look at the time. Um, let me look at some areas of disillusionment. Um, you know, I, I I I get really nervous when people get caught up with a hyped with a hyped up version of Christianity. You know, you know some some aspects of Christianity, like like triumphalism, set people up for disillusionment. You know, it, again, it's I, seen over the years people get addicted to spiritual experiences. It, it's and I, I always get concerned about those things because because they can they can be so difficult. You know, the, again, the truth is this: that there's a, when you have a mountaintop experience, there's only one way. It, it's down. You know, mountaintop experiences are awesome. But we don't live there. We, we, live, we live in the valleys and we live on the slopes. And when we're disillusioned and disappointed or discouraged, we have to stop and examine, what do I actually believe? Why am I so, why am I so angry about this? Why, am I, why do I feel so disappointed about this? What was I hoping for? What did I believe was reality? What was the illusion that I need to, that I need to uh, deal with? It's really interesting. There's a, there's a number of people that have written about this this thing of of stages of faith. I, probably probably these two would be the, some of the biggest voices. James Fowler with stages of faith, and M. Scott Peck with a road less travelled. But but in, in both of those books, they talk about the different stages that our faith goes through. Uh, you, uh, I, uh, one of my particular versions, and, and you know, I, I'd encourage you if you haven't read them to read them, particularly Stages of Faith by James Fowler. Um, but one of my favourite books is this one um, by Dave Schmelzer, and he he talks about the various stages of faith, and it, he kind of puts a different a different spin on the stages of faith. I, I, he calls the first stage of faith the criminal phase. He says because it's like everything's about us. He said you could easily call it the toddler stage as well because, you know, generally to toddlers don't sort of pop out of their bed in the morning and ask us, can I get you a coffee, Daddy? You know, it's, everything's about them. And so, and all of us start there. It's not a bad, it's not a bad, it's a bad stage of faith if you stop there. But it's not a bad, but it's not a bad place to stop. And so, so it's a criminal, it's the sense that I, it's all about me. I'm at the center. I'm at the center of the story. And, and, and everything should make me happy. And, 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 and what the stages of faith theory talks about is, is that faith has to go from that, from that very um, unrealistic faith to a faith that's been tested and tried and proved and adjusted and deepened and, and become more and more robust. And so, he, and so Dave Schmelzer kind of talks about the phases that, that Peck and Fowler use much better words about. And he says, then generally what happens, once we've kind of gone through that phase, we go into the rule-based phase, which is, which is we get all legalistic about stuff. You know, if I'm going to grow in my faith, it's all about what I don't do. You know, Christians don't do this and Christians don't do that. And it's all about rules. And, and it's a very comforting phase 
because it's like it's black and white. It's, you know, but it doesn't take long in our faith development to realize the world is not black and white. It, it is multiple shades of gray. You know, it, it's a technicolor world. And so he says, you know, if, if people have the courage to, to let disillusionment break their illusion to cause them to dig in further, he says we can, we can reach the next phase, which, is, which doesn't seem that much better, but it's a rebellious phase. Where, where you, and, and I'm sure as I'm saying these things that, that we're all thinking about things that we've, that we've been through this stuff. We were, we, we were legalists. You know, everything was black and white. We had an answer for everything. There's a proof text for everything. Uh, to to, to realising that actually, actually it's not as simple as that. It's, it's much more complex. And so the rebellious phase of faith is, is almost throwing all that aside and saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break every rule and see what happens. And, and, and again, we can, we can go through that phase. It's testing everything. It's saying, who, who says that's right? Who, who has the authority to say that? Why, why would I believe them? You know, why, why can't I just have my own ideas? And, and again, if we, if we let that illusion be broken again, we can move into what he calls the mystical phase, which is this deep phase of faith where, our, where it's about trust in the person of Jesus. You know, we, we, we have this deep trust in the Word of God, but we don't use it as a proof text. We, we use it as, this, as, this 60, as, as a library of wisdom from God, you know, to, to shape our faith and form our faith. Um, Again, another way of, of thinking about it is as we move from simplistic faith to perplexing faith to complex faith and, on, and finally to get to that place where our faith is just simple. It's a simple faith because it's in the person of Jesus. You know, that's, that's, that's when disillusionment touch, touches our faith. But it can also, we can also get disillusioned with people. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer he, he, this book, Life Together, is, is, is one of the books that I'd say to every person. You sh- you just, at some point in your life, you've got to read it. You know, it's such an important book. He wrote it, uh, you know, he was uh, part of the Confessing Church and ended up being um, executed under the Nazi rule. Um, but he says this, Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely we must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others. That sounds cool, eh? <laughs> we're all going to let we're all going to let each other down, folks. Um, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves, isn't that beautiful? Because he's talking about he's, he's again he's talking about some stages of growth that we go through in our relationships with people. It's just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship. So surely we must be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general. And if we're fortunate, even with ourselves, uh, what he's talking about, he's talking about letting disillusionment call us forward, letting disillusionment give us the invitation to grow again. Um, A lot of us will have seen this about the stages of social growth, you know, community growth or group growth or, you know, but but we start with with pseudo community, which is we're all we're all on our best behaviour, so we don't want to upset each other. So, we'll, you know, we'll we'll swallow dead rats all the time, just just so that we don't upset one another. So so pseudo pseudo community is just the beginning. It's a, it, it's the only place we can start, but it's not real genuine Christian community. And then, and then we start telling the truth to each other. We realise I am actually a really annoying person. 
you know, I'm not trying to, but I just am. I realize that, you know, and I can understand. I've upset you, and I'm really sorry about that. And, and often it becomes chaotic because we're, you know, we're actually speaking the truth to each other. Sometimes in love, sometimes in frustration, but but it results in the sense of, of chaos. And the, and then as we, you know, as groups and as individuals have have the courage to to go. It's got to be better than this. That we go into this sense of emptiness where it feels like this. It felt everything within me wants to go back to the pretend community, you know, where we just all pretend with each other because that was really fun. We can say, Praise the Lord, brother. Um, <clears throat> but if we have the courage, we'll push through and we'll find true community. So, what I'm telling you, know, what I'm saying is, 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 that this, is that we can experience this thing of disillusionment in so many areas. We, and, and honestly, the, probably the biggest area that we have disillusionment with, well, certainly in my experience, has been this is disillusionment with, our, with ourselves. You know, I, th- you know, I used to think I was this kind of person, but I've realized, you know, I, there's so many degrees of brokenness, you know, that the, 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 the more courage I've had to face who I am, the more I realize I just need a savior, <laughs> you know, over and over. My, you know, I, I knew I needed a, needed a savior as a 20-year-old coming to Jesus, but as a 66-year-old, I, I know genuinely I need a savior. I really need him because my life, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, it just it needs his help in so many areas just to be, to be a good person, to be a Christ-like person. And so disillusionment with ourselves is also a really good thing. So how do we grow through this disillusionment? Like I say, first of all, you know, just disillusionment can take us to a lot of different places. It can take us to cynicism. It can take us to withdrawal. You know, and, and, we, and we see that in us at times, but we've seen it in our friends. You know, we've seen it in other people. But we, we can see that disillusionment will take us places. But the first step is this, to just simply let the illusion be exposed for what it is. It's an illusion. You know, so many things that we believe about ourselves, so many things we believe about Christianity are an illusion. They're not, they're not the truth. <clears throat> um, I, I want to give you another quote from, uh, from a man called Viktor Frankl and from his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was uh, a young Jewish German psychiatrist who was a Holocaust survivor. And, you know, and, and, and the reality is this, that all of us have stuff happening to us. But we, have, we always have the choice of, of being the victim or being the survivor. And, and, you know, we, we can identify ourselves with, with, with one of those places. You know, more often than not, we're, we're more volunteers than we are victims. Now, and again, I'm not making, please hear me well, I'm not, I'm not saying that there are, there are situations that clearly are, uh, we have been victimized, people have been victimized. Um, but but, but it's, it's interesting that, that no matter what's happened, when you think about the people who have been through the Holocaust, for example, he, Frankel says this, he says, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And what he was saying was, you can take away all my stuff. You know, they, I mean, they stripped him bare, and, and the, I think their final act was to, was to take his wedding ring. And, um, you know, he lost, he lost his entire family through the Holocaust. Um, but what he's saying was, but you cannot take away my ability to respond to this situation. That, 
that I keep. And so one of the things that, that when we grow through this area of disillusionment is we, is we invest in real relationships, real, real relationships with people, real relationships with God. And this next slide is worth coming out in a cold winter morning for. People do people stuff. <laughs> we all do stuff. You know, we all say the wrong thing. We all respond the wrong way at times, you know. And, and, and so one of the things, I guess, is, is that we, we have to remind ourselves when, we, when we're disillusioned with a person and with a relationship, it, it's, it's, it's realizing, oh, my goodness, you know, we're just people. We're humans. And to, and to give one another great grace for, for being human. You know, again, like I talked about last week, disillusionment, when we hit disillusionment, it can lead us to one destination or another, growth or bitterness. In the same way that doubt's a journey, this thing of disillusionment and disappointment can take us somewhere that, that we either want to go or we don't want to go. You know, it's really interesting in John 21, at the, at, at the end of John's gospel, the disciples were disillusioned. They... they Days before, had imagined themselves sitting on thrones with, with Jesus, uh, ruling, first of all, an earthly empire, and then probably a, you know, an eternal empire. But, and, and, then, and then their Messiah was brutally executed. And so, you know, their illusion of, of sitting on thrones and everything just going to be awesome and Jesus' popularity growing more and more and more until the whole world was filled with this, with this popular Messiah was, was completely broken. Their king was gone. And so they went back to fishing. They went back to what they, what they started with. You know, and disillusionment is always painful. You know, we thought our life was going to be something and we find it's not. It's always painful, you know, and my talk is not, is not making light of it, but it's just, it's just saying that's, that's a fork in the road for us to dig into. <coughs> you know, it's really interesting to, when you think about um, how, we, how we learn and grow. And, and, and one, of the, one, of the things, one of the things that we realize is this, that, that pain is, is actually, it can be a good teacher or it can be a bad teacher. Pain can make people wicked. You know, pain can make people just get meaner and meaner. Or pain can bring us to softness, you know. But pain's a wonderful teacher. But, the, but there's probably better ways for us to choose if we possibly can. And um, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, whoops. Can you just pass on one more? Thank you. Um, in Hebrews chapter 6, Again, one of my, one of my favorite passages, I think, just because of the image that, that it draws up. But, but, but hope is like an anchor, and it anchors us. It's interesting that, that, that the anchor is, it goes right to, the, right to the throne room of God. So God did this, Hebrews 6, verses 18 through 20. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us might be greatly encouraged. And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And that anchor enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And, 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 and one, of this, one of our responses when we face disappointment and disillusionment is to, is to grab a hold of that anchor line again. Because that anchor takes us to the very throne room of God. You know, I've I've been in I've been in some slightly disturbingly scary situations on the on the ocean, 
And, and the, the moments when you realise we've got an anchor down and we are now secure is an incredible relief. You know, it, it's when you're, when you're kind of going, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it to, to an anchorage. But when you put that anchor down, there is such a relief that happens in that moment. Because you realise we are connected to the, to, you know, to terra firma again. We're not just we're not bouncing around, you know, in the in the swells and the and the and the waves. And it's that same it's that same sense when we anchor ourselves to biblical hope. What it does, it connects us to something deeply solid. So hope, we could put it this way: hope is like a spiritual force that connects us to what God wants us to be focused on and trusting in. And 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 one John three verse three. Um, John says, and we have this, uh, he says, sorry, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Because we've got this hope of a God who's calling us, who, who, who loved us so much that he died for us. And, and, and when we focus on that hope, we kind of, it just makes us kind of go, I, I, don't, I don't want to become that kind of person. I don't want to become mean. I don't want to become cynical. I don't want to be sarcastic. You know, I, I, I don't want to be a smart mouth. You know, I, I don't want to be someone who just pokes fun at other people and puts people down to, to try and elevate me. You know, I don't want to be that kind of person. I, I, I want to anchor my hope in God. And this hope is based in two things, the reality of something being real and promised and also in the ability to reach out with that hope and the expectation that things will come. I absolutely love the song that Matthew and the band played this morning, you know. And, and one of the one of the responses to to um, to this thing of of disappointment and disillusionment, which is inevitable in this life, is to is to carefully choose the voice that shapes us. To be really careful about and and I mean Jeremy Riddle when he when he penned this song it's just so beautiful may your voice be louder may your voice be clearer than all the others you know the reality is this you know it's it's choosing to make God's voice the loudest voice you know I, I was thinking about this you know obviously when I was preparing this talk but but thinking about just just how um, how immersed we are in the culture and the zeitgeist you know the the spirit of the age you know how immersed we are. You know, through through uh, you know through art, through culture, through so-called experts, through through media, through film, uh, through current expert voices, you know all that kind of stuff. Those are the voices that we're that we're just washed in hours and hours every day. And and to, you know, and I was kind of like, and how much do I immerse myself in the voice of God every day? You know, it's, it's like five minutes compared to five hours. And, you know, and, and so the, my encouragement, and I know it's a, you know, it's kind of an easy one to kind of beat up on, but, but, but we've got to look at what's, what's shaping us. You know, you know, the Christians in our nation, people like us, we're, we're in danger of just being immersed in the culture of the age and just believing everything we're, we're told by the so-called experts. This is, this is how it is now. You know, the, the, you know your primitive belief was, was terrible and, and, and it was doing terrible things to humanity, but this is a brave new age. You know, and so it's this, it's, this, it's this carefully choosing the voice that shapes us. Oh... He's talking a long time, isn't he? <coughs> I, should, I should bring it to a close. Um, let, me, let me just quickly flick you through the last couple of scriptures. <coughs> and to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
And friends, I, I don't know about you, but I just know I'm, 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 quite, I'm quite immersed in the culture of the age. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in lots of ways consciously and subconsciously shaped by it. And I want, I want to choose the voice that's shaping me. I, I, I want to immerse myself in that voice. Again, in, in 1 John 2, uh, verse 27. And as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And yet you don't need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit. And just as it's taught you, remain in him. And that we would give ourselves, that we'd allow God's truth to shape us more than the, the spirit of the age. That we'd allow that to become the, most, the, the loudest voice. <coughs> you know, there's a very beautiful verse and this is my final verse. In, in Romans chapter uh, 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There it is again. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So we boast in the hope. We start, we start with that place of the goodness of God you know, and we realize that that, that hope is actually going to cause us to, to, to go into, it will produce suffering in us because we're constantly finding ourselves out of step with this age. Out of step, out of step with with you know current popular opinion uh, about what life is and what's important and, and, and what values we want to live by, we find ourselves out of step with that, but in step with the Holy Spirit. But it creates suffering, and suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. And friends, you know, I, I've, I'm sorry I've, I've gone on too long today, but, but, but I, 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 just think, I just think these things are inevitable. We will have things that disappoint us. We'll, we'll have situations that we face where we think, I did not ever think it was going to turn out like this. I never thought this would happen to me and my family. I never thought this would happen in my job. I never thought this would happen. And it's at that moment that we stand at that fork and we choose hope. Because hope is that anchor. Hope is the anchor that's going to keep us anchored to Jesus. It's going to, it's going to keep us, you know, you pull that anchor line and it just, it just brings you closer. 